Welcome back to HOA It's a True Story. Today, our guest is Vicki McHale. She's a consultant, and she recently wrote an article addressing a topic long kept in the closet of HOA management. She addresses the mental health of managers, and we're going to do a deep dive into that in a minute. But Vicki, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to HOA It's a True Story. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Also joining us is Bill Mann of GB Group. Thank you, Reagan. And I'm your host, Reagan Brown. So, Vicki, while we get started into this, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the HOA industry. Well, it's interesting. I got out of the military and I was hired as a 911 operator. And I found out that I was pregnant and I didn't want to work shifts. And my mother-in-law's community had an ad in the paper for an activities plant facilities director. And so I took that job and worked for under Keystone Management at the time. And because I was on site, people just normally started gravitating towards me rather than the manager. And from there, I, I went to the Prescott companies and within four years, I went from an on-site manager to the senior vice president of the company, stayed there for 10 years, and then went into partnership for my own company. Oh, that's fantastic. Like a good background for HOA management. Well, before that, I was an air traffic controller, and I always tell people that air traffic control and HOA management are the (laughs) same job, only when you tell somebody in air traffic control to do something, they go, yes, ma'am, instead of I'm going to sue you. So, <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you wrote this article. One of the things that as we've been doing podcasts, we've had a couple people approach us about talking about mental health for managers. And at, at the first request, I was like, oh, no, I'm staying away from that topic. And then the second and then the third, I said, you know, Bill and I started talking about it. And I said, obviously, there's a real need here that we need to dive into it. So when we saw your article, we were pretty interested in, in having this discussion with you, but what actually prompted you to write the article itself? The last four years of healing through CPTSD and a big part of it going back to me just wearing myself out in HOA management and not really realizing what was happening to me. And a lot of times when you are in a mental health crisis, you don't even realize what's happening. So a couple of years ago, I started noticing it about 10 years ago. And then four years ago, my whole life just fell apart. Everything, my career, my marriage, everything. And it took a while. I was in a very dark place and I started going to mental health professionals and kind of looking at what was going on and was diagnosed with CPTSD. And um, it was a very, very scary time because at one time in my career, I was, I was doing everything. I was managing. I had over 60 managers under me. I was teaching for CACM. I was writing. I was serving on panels. And I absolutely loved it until I didn't. Yeah. Then at that point, it's what I had always known to do. So I just kept going. So do you think that this is a recent issue to our industry, maybe because of the pandemic, or do you think people are just coming forward now and that it's really just systemic into our industry? 
You know, I think it's very systemic in our industry. I can't say whether or not the pandemic had anything to do with it because I was already kind of out. I was in consulting by the time the pandemic hit, but I think it's always been there, but it's gotten worse. It really gotten worse. And I think I want to say around 2005, 2006 is when it really started hitting because that's when all of the oversaturation of legislation hit along the same time that the market went down. So we went from giving managers six accounts to giving them 16 accounts. And then that mindset of, you know, we're, we're inflation proof in this industry, which is the biggest crock of baloney you're ever going to hear. It's, it's us lying to ourselves. So I think all of that kind of hit the fan around that time. And that's when I really saw it going. I think that what we saw, you were spot on with the 2006 uh, legislation really changing the manager's responsibilities. But I will say that I do think during the pandemic, things did get a little different, mainly because they all pivoted to working from home and they started having more access to the managers, homeowners did and more attendance at the board meetings and more people taking notice of what was going on in their communities. And they started hammering on the managers and the lawyers and really trying to get much more involved and get more information. So I think there was a shift in the mindset, at least. I'm not sure that all of it was a mental health issue, but as people became more isolated and fearful, I think it brought out some of those already festering issues. Sort of like you said, it just kind of creeped in there after a while. I can see that. I was doing some consulting with a large company at the time. And I can tell you, it was absolute chaos when I was working for them. The phones never stopped ringing. Everybody was upset over something. It was very volatile. But coming in to just kind of step in and help, I didn't know if this was systemic of, you know, the pandemic or just that division had gotten so far behind. Bill, do you think that some of the isolation created by the pandemic festered some of these already existing conditions and brought them forward? Yeah, probably so. I mean, there's been a lot of issues, not only in our industry, but many industries and just people personally that the pandemic, you know, certainly impacted, you know, everybody's mental well-being. I think a lot of people had difficulties, you know, being isolated, working from home, not seeing people. So that certainly would impact the world of an HOA manager. Find it interesting too that, you know, the workload hasn't really decreased. Vicky was talking about, you know, 16 properties. There are a lot of managers that are still managing that many properties these days. So Vicky, going to that comment about the 16, you know, going from six to 16, is there a responsibility from the management company ownership? Or is this just about the individuals finding life balance? No, I don't feel that you can find life balance when you have 16 accounts. It was hard enough when we had six accounts. And a lot of times people bring in is we have all of this technology and we have this and we have that. And the technology to me, there have, there is some value in it, but in some ways it almost brings in more chaos into the system. You know, when I first started, the big question was, is 
should we have a website or not? And now you have <laughs> 16 accounts and some of them, you know, you go in and, and they say, well, we want your website, but we also want this website. And then you have text and then you have a separate phone app and then you have teams and then you have this program, which doesn't talk to this program. So I've got to load it here and go here and do this. And it's madness and it sets you up for failure. So no, I don't think you could adequately manage that many accounts. I don't care how good your technology is. And the thing is, is if it really did work, managers could maintain this many accounts. We wouldn't have so many complaints. We wouldn't have so much turnover in accounts, but we still go in. Well, I say we, because I used to kind of be in that group. We go in and we sit there and they're, the client is telling us their expectations and, and knocking the other account down and we're sitting there going oh well we could do that better and you know what we could do it for less like our management fees are right now I, they're half of what they were in oh. the early 2000s so that's part of the reason why this you know inflation proof you're not inflation proof we're practically selling our souls to get these accounts well as executive leaderships we're not selling our souls we're selling the souls of our senior managers yeah 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 i mean right now you can't go on to any social media where a management company doesn't have an opening for a community manager and you know they're posting salaries of you know 60 to seventy-five thousand dollars. i mean back when i ran a property management company in the 80s we were paying close to that for somebody that managed five accounts. And I, exactly. you know, so, I mean, it's crazy. And then we didn't have things like emails where you come in and you have a thousand emails to respond to. I mean, you know, if you're out of the office for multiple days, I don't think there's, it's even realistic to catch up. What can owners do to make the jobs of their managers more life balanced, just reduce the workload or is there other things they can do? This is not an easy sweep no. of the pen. We have gotten ourselves in such a bind, but yes, there are things that they're going to have to do is, you know, there's a lot of industries. One of the things I've always said is I see other industries, they kind of work together. Yes, they have healthy competition and, and they're out there. And I, what I've seen in our industry is we're kind of the good old boys. We pat each other on the back and we say things like my company would not take, you know, bad business or my company fires bad business or my company won't do this or that. And we all sit there and know they're BSing because we've hired their employees or we know what they do. I think what they have to start doing is stepping up and walking their talk. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that you are often more defined by who you refuse to do business with than who you do business with. And we've got to start getting the fees up. Heck, we've got the DRE operating costs manual that was redone a couple of years ago and the fees have tripled from the one previously and we're still below the one previously. So we have to start... <clears throat> You know, we have to take pride in what it is that we do. And, and I will say this, and I wrote this in my article. It used to drive me crazy when I would be with a group of leaders and even some managers. And they'd say, I would never live in a homeowners association. Oh my gosh. And I would say, you know, what if Bill Great Gates used an Apple computer or, you know, what, what if people weren't willing to use their own product? What does that say? 
about what we're putting out there. If we're not willing to live in homeowners associations, what does that say about us? And, mm -hmm. and you can make up any excuse that you want, but when you are willing to even live within what it is that you're creating and you say that, that you're an expert in, no, no, to me, that doesn't cut it. I know we're heavily legislated and it seems like every year it's getting more and more and more and the managers, you know, do you think that the, the volume of information they need to know and handle are playing a bigger role in this now? Because it seems like they're almost having to become little experts in all of these areas. And that can be very overwhelming. Well, not only that, it's so nitpicky now because that's what happens is we've kind of created our own chains because we haven't worked to actually fix issues. So what happens is, is people come in and then the legislature keeps putting band-aids on top of things and it doesn't fix the problem. So the next year, new legislation comes out. I mean, we've known that people's reserves were underfunded since I came in 30 years ago and I go online and there's the same article that I wrote 30 years ago that we're still doing. But now we have new legislation. And so what's happened is we have new legislation. Well, guess what? Now there's not enough vendors to do the the deck reviews or, or all of this. So it just keeps snowballing. What do you think the ownership can do to potentially help identify managers that might be experiencing some overload or mental health issue as a result of life and their jobs? I think if leadership and management are really watching their people it's easy to spot and i can only talk from my own experience and experiences i have seen where i've tried to step in before i was a top performer i mean i went stronger and harder than practically anybody in the company and i slowly started shutting down to the point where i would go in and i would just Google things all day long. I did the absolute minimum. And that was used against me. After 10 years of working for a company, I was told because I was, I had everything dumped on my shoulders. Nothing was going right. And the owners of the company weren't listening. <laughs> one was basically absent. And the other one got upset because I was, my anger rose when I yelled at a couple of employees, which was not me, but it was ugly. I still have nightmares about that. And rather than to say, wait a second, this isn't the Vicky we know, something's going on. It was, okay, after 10 years, we're just going to fire you. Now, there were other things going on behind the scenes that I later learned. And I feel I was a sacrifice because they were selling to a public company and my salary increased their value. So I don't know, you know, if that was the deciding factor, but when your best employees quit showing up, you absolutely know something's happening. I think to play devil's advocate though here, if, you're working from home the majority of the people were still working from home how is an owner gonna know if a manager is going down the rabbit hole so to speak oh trust me you know when an employee all of a sudden is not performing the board members are calling 
Uh-huh. Okay, good yeah, point. The board members are calling because they have a certain expectation, especially when somebody has been at a level and all of a sudden they start going downhill, you know. Well, I think, Bill, one of the things we've seen is long-time clients that we've known for a long period of time suddenly change or they act different, right? Yeah, no, they do. And it's interesting, too, Vicki, you brought up, and I didn't realize you were involved in one of the companies that got bought by that publicly traded company. You know, we've seen a lot of that and more of it even recently. There's been quite a few companies that have been acquired under these huge, you know, basically nationwide umbrellas. They're also the companies we see a lot of manager turnover in too. So do you feel like those companies focus more on bottom line versus the employee? Oh, gosh. I'm a bad person to ask that question because I'm kind of jaded. (laughs) I do not believe that these companies brought a lot of value into our industry. I think they came in, they didn't understand our industry. They came in, it was complete bottom line. And what they've done is they've just turned over accounts, they've turned over staff, and that did nothing more than to make us look foolish and and for people not to really trust in us. And I'm not saying everybody, there are some great accounts, there are some great companies, but I think we kid ourselves when we say, well, most are happy. I'm curious if there's more training that we need to do that would maybe alleviate some of the uncertainty that's probably driving a lot of that stress. I don't know if I have a different perspective than other people is, I served on the CACM board and I was one of the people that really pushed the master certificates and higher level of education. And I think education is so important for our managers. Mm-hmm. I agree. But here's, here's the problem. I can have a PhD in HOA management, but if the person who I'm working for and is the decision maker doesn't have that same level of education or doesn't you know, they're looking at their pennies rather than long-term value, it doesn't matter. I mean, Mm -hmm. if we valued education, none of us would eat potato chips or fried foods or anything unhealthy because the the information's been out there. So the education of managers, I think, has gone above and beyond. But the thing is, is our audience and the people that we're working for, it depends on how much they value education. And I have been in situations where they want a 10-year manager or a 15-year manager. You know, they've got 40 units and they want a manager with 25 years of experience for $1,500 a month. And you give them somebody with that level of education and all of a sudden, if it's a true manager rather than a secretary, which many have become, they start giving them the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they don't want to hear it. What they really wanted was somebody the level of education that some of these people want is that when they come in and say something, that manager figures out a way to make them feel like they're correct. The other thing I was thinking about was since you wrote this article, have you had other managers reach out to you and say, you know, thank you for talking about this or, you know, bringing this forward that it's an issue in our industry? Has anybody reached out or commented to you on this? several people do it. A couple of my past employees that also some comments on the post, but you know what, Reagan, what I really believe, and I've seen this happen before is just because people aren't reaching out doesn't mean they're not watching because I think there's a lot of fear. 
I think there's a lot of fear out there. Or what if somebody, you know, I, I don't want to lose my job or right. there, there's really no resources. You know, you've got FMLA where, yes, you could take up to six weeks unpaid off. A lot of people can't take that off. So I think there are a lot of people watching. And I think there may be some people that don't even realize where they're at. Well, they may not know what resources are available to them because it's not something people want to advertise. And like you said, it's kind of got a stigma of its own. So maybe they don't want to reach out to their HR department and say, you know, I'm feeling really uncomfortable lately and I, I would like to have some kind of assistance in this. Oh gosh, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> oh, yeah, hit on right. something there. Yeah, you hit on something. That's why I wrote this article because mm. I was Teflon for ah. so many years. And I see people out there and I see their posts and I see the deadness behind their eyes. I see the games that are, are being played. It's, look, at we're having all of this fun. And I remember when we had to go have fun or go to a lunch and learn or do something and the panic behind my eyes or even my staff's eyes because they didn't have time for that. And so I thought if I could put myself out there, maybe it's going to help somebody else. Oh, I'm sure it did. And I know, you know, like I said, it, it, it surprised Bill and I how many people kind of approached us on this topic. And it is, it does come with kind of a stigma attached to it. So people don't want to bring it up and they don't want to say something. But you touched on another topic that I want to loosely and lightly comment on. And that is the social media posts. And a lot of People, I think, will put out there, like you said, oh, look at me, I'm okay. I'm having all this fun and I look great. And they're, they're trying to convince everybody they're okay and that yeah. they're, you know, still in the game and still having fun and blah, blah, blah. But when you do get on a phone call with them or you get to see them, you realize there's a lot more going on. But social media kind of lends itself to false pretenses all by itself. Oh, yeah. I, I see these posts and it's very difficult for me because there's this part of you that wants to believe it's true but you know it's mm -hmm. not so many people out there patting their own back oh look we're one of the best places to work how do i know that because i know 17 people that quit in the past month you know how does that make you special or our company does this or we value your opinion but yet your managers still have 10, 12, 14 accounts. So I don't know what the answers are, but if this industry doesn't get it together, pretty soon nobody's gonna wanna work here. And here's what I think the pandemic, what it really did, and you see it happening in many industries. People are saying no, they can't find employees willing to work under those crappy circumstances. And the workforce is realizing for the first time in the history is that they are the company. It's mm -hmm. not the upper management. It's the people in the middle. And if I'm not willing to work and if you're not willing to give me a place where I can come and I feel safe and I know I'm valued, then I'm not going to work for you. Mm -hmm. And people are willing to step back and, and downsize their lives for the first time in a long time. So I guess, I guess the final question here is, can a manager effectively set boundaries 
with their boards and their communities and get that better balance for themselves? Oh gosh, that's a tough one. I think there are certain things you can set boundaries in, but again, it depends on how your management company is going to support you. What their culture is, sure. I could go in when I was at my level and I could terminate an account and say, you know what? No, but that, that manager, they can't do that. And when they're sitting there thinking, I've got to do whatever it takes, because if I lose this account, I could lose my job or I'll lose money. Then it makes it difficult. Right. Well, the name of the podcast is HOA. It's a true story. Do you have a story to share with us today? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I could just do 15 podcasts just on stories. But <laughs> I think the one back. I wanted to tell, talk about is um, I took an account, one I should have known better, but you know, you go in and go, well, I could be the magic wand that fixes this. So they were about $5 million behind in their reserves. And we were trying to educate the homeowners, but they got very scared when they heard that number. So the last meeting before Christmas, a group of them dressed up as Christmas characters. And one of the gals got up dressed as an elf and she sang a song to the tune of Jingle Bells, (laughs) smashing the board and management. Jingle Bells, this board smells. (laughs) (laughs) A parody of complaints. So we are, we're all sitting there and like with our mouths open and I'm like, okay, I'm trying not to react. And um, (laughs) so the gal gets to the end and she kind of goes, ta-da, and she bent over and her ears fell off and the place was just bedlam. So um, yes, I've had a Christmas carol sing about me. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, there's always something new you hear when we do these stories, so we appreciate you sharing. And uh, if anybody has any questions about today's podcast or they'd like to reach out to Vicki for any reason, please feel free to, to reach out to us at inquiry at gbgroupinc.com, and we will forward your information on to Vicki, and we really appreciate your constant listening. Thanks again, Vicki. Thank you. Thanks, Vicki.